You are entering the Freedom Hut. Looks like the president may in fact sign a budget deal, but he could also declare a shutdown. That's what we are being told right now. I'm sorry, declare a national emergency. That's what we're being told right now. Kind of feels like a shutdown. Uh, We'll talk about that and also some crazy stuff from the FBI, former FBI director Andy McCabe. Folks, we got a lot to dive into, so strap in. We'll be right with it. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. This is a president who has performed over and over and over again. He's moved the embassy uh, to Jerusalem. He's brought back jobs uh, from China to America. The economy is roaring. We've got uh, a number of people that were hostages brought home. Every time they say he won't do it, he does do it. He's going to do it this time. I'm confident of that. I believe that he will take executive action to make sure he gets the dollars that he needs to make sure that that wall gets built. Congress won't do his job, quite frankly. We could have done a lot better. We could have given him the $5.7 billion that he requested. But instead, he's having to uh, embark on a three-step process that I, I applaud. I mean, you know, I can tell you that I wish that the executive branch would have less ability to do things on their own. We'll be voting to deliver another down payment on the president's commitment to securing our nation's borders and keeping American communities safe. And we'll do it free from the influence of poison pills that sought to derail progress and stifle compromise. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Here we are about to find out if what has been reported is true. That they're uh, awaiting, as we go to air, they're awaiting a House vote on an omnibus bill to avoid a shutdown, right? So uh, a continued spending bill. And the Senate has already put it through. We're awaiting the House to vote on it. The White House has already said that the president is going to sign it. And then we are told the plan is for there to be a declaration of a national emergency, which I would... I would wager would only last hours before probably the Ninth Circuit, but who knows which circuit shuts it down. And then the government just continues on as it is. This is not a victory. It would not be true. It would not be honest for me to say that it's a victory. Assuming this all goes through as planned. Remember, I'm doing this show live and this is where we are right now. Trump originally wanted $25 billion for the border wall. Later on, after consultation with experts, they picked some key areas. And I'm okay with this more pointed and, and more exact expansion of the already hundreds of miles of barrier fencing. Uh, based upon areas with the greatest need. I I think that's reasonable. And I think that it's an easier sell to, if not the Democrats, who are completely unreasonable on this. It's an easier sell to the public that, hey, we need this stuff. Let's do it. And then you can show as you build in these key areas, the metrics prove that what we already know, which is that walls work, is in fact the case. But it went from 25 billion 
to $5 billion, and now Democrats agreed to $1.6 billion when the $5.6 billion was asked for. And then it now has come to pass that the bill call the bill is at uh, 1.375 billion which is enough to construct 55 miles um that's not a whole lot when you're talking about a 2000 mile border and i know that it would take time to build this but i can't get excited about 55 miles of border fencing when you already have hundreds and you need a whole lot more there's also prohibitions in this omnibus and this is just from what i've been reading today so some of this could be in the process of getting changed on the hill in the bill. But there's a prohibition against any wall being built. And there's also a so so they just that's a, a mostly a political thing because the bollard fencing, as I've seen when I was in San Diego at the border, the bollard fencing, which is these these metal uh, these metal posts. And they also have a a jump shield at the top, a jump plate at the top. Uh, that's the most effective stuff they've got. So I'm fine with it. It's also a lot easier to replace. You can break through a wall pretty easily. And if you break through a cement wall, it's really hard to rebuild. The fencing can be rebuilt in pieces quickly and easily. um, And it also allows you to see through to the other side, which is important for Border Patrol. So the, the fencing, but that just shows you how petty really the Democrats are being. No wall. So that way, they just want it to be impossible for Trump to say that any wall is being built, but fencing will be built. But then you have some other prohibitions I see in here that they have to consult. Section 232A of the bill says that, quote, prior to use of any funds available by this act for the construction of physical barriers, Department of Homeland Security shall confer and seek to reach mutual agreement regarding the design and alignment of physical barriers within that city. Who do you think they have to reach agreement with, folks? That's right. Local politicians. What has become one of the favorite talking points? One of the favorite talking points of Democrats on this whole issue? Oh, let's put a congressman from a border, you know, a border district on TV to say he doesn't want a fence. He doesn't want a wall. Yeah, that's because... The demographics have changed so much because of illegal immigration that congressmen and mayors and different elected officials along the border don't want to be seen as pro-wall because to be pro-wall, thanks to the Democrats, is to be anti-Central American, anti-Mexican. This is what they say. It's, It's rooted in racism. And while that's unfair and it's not true. That has political consequences. So, of course, politicians, not the experts, not Border Patrol, not the people that have to really deal with this. Politicians are going to go with whatever's popular. And in some border in some border districts, they don't want. To have to be in favor of something that might cost them their job, they don't care what it does. Uh, You also have I mean, there's there's a piece today that really got my attention from uh, from Daniel Horowitz on this one, who's writing over at Conservative Review, who just breaks this down. He says he's got five areas, five provisions of the bill that contains or that, that are problematic. His number three here is that the bill contains a blatant amnesty for the worst cartel smugglers. Section 224A prohibits the deportation of anyone who is sponsoring an unaccompanied minor, an illegal alien, 
or who says they might sponsor an unaccompanied minor or lives in a household with an unaccompanied minor or a household that potentially might sponsor one. He writes, it's truly difficult to understate the betrayal behind this provision. One of the driving factors of the invasion is the misrepresentation of the unaccompanied uh, minor under law. Under current law, Central American teenagers are only treated as refugees if they are a victim of a severe form of trafficking and have no relatives in the country. Yet almost all of them are self-trafficked by these very illegal relatives who are indeed present in the country. Rather than clamping down on this fleecing of the American people, the bill gives amnesty to the very people paying the cartels to invade us. Uh, and, then the, and then he goes on, and this is the part that I knew was going to be the case. What the Democrats want is more funding for the areas of the immigration system right now. And again, we're waiting here for a House vote, as we're on air, a House vote on averting another government shutdown by putting forward this spending bill that would carry, you know, carry the government through for X amount of months. And then Trump is going to declare a national emergency. I think some of us are going to say, well, you know, I, I guess the negotiations have shown that Democrats are extremists. That's good. Democrats are extremists on the border. The Democrats are totally unreasonable on this issue of immigration, that they are pro-illegal immigration, that they do not want these laws to be enforced at the border or in the interior. And we've got a real problem because one of two political parties in this country is effectively now anti-sovereignty. They won't say it. They would argue if you said this to them, but it is true. They are opposed to us having any meaningful control over who comes into the country and stays and who does not. This is unsustainable. This is a major problem. Back to this piece in Conservative Review, which was, was excellent today, I have to say. Uh, Horowitz did a really good job with it. Number four, more funding to manage and induce the invasion rather than to deter it. While offering no new funding for ICE deportation agents or immigration judges to speed up asylum claims, as the president requested, this bill adds another $40 million for the Alternatives to Detention program, which moves asylum seekers to facilities in the interior of the country where they are usually released. This bill will further expand and institutionalize the catch and release policies for those arriving illegally at the border from all over the world. Most of these people have no intention of asking for asylum and know they don't qualify it, but they are simply joining the illegal population knowing it's unlikely that they will be deported. What have I been telling you all along? It's a huge scam. If you understand our current system, you know how to game it, you know how to get around it, and you will be able to stay in the interior of the United States without any realistic fear of deportation, no matter who we're talking about here. Now, you could the only possible exception would be if you are a hardened criminal who's already been deported or you're on a terror watch list and they take your fingerprints and they're able to tell that you're somebody who's a real concern. But if you're just an just an average person from Mexico, Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, China, India, and all these countries where we do have Bangladesh, illegal aliens showing up. You will know that you can stay in the United States now if you come to the bar. I almost hesitate sometimes to talk about it because part of the the only thing that saves us here is that not, not more migrants know about this. If they knew what was going on, I think they would have a harder time doing anything but this. 
right? They, they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to pay smugglers and do all this. Stuff. They'd want to just do caravans. And there's more caravans forming. Why? Because they are safe in numbers to get to the border. There's media presence there to cover their their plight. And then they can just show up and surrender. They can show up and they can surrender this. By the end of this year, as I've been saying, we're going to be at a half a million, a half a million uh, illegal entries or rather a half a million people who are effectively about to be illegal. And Democrats are saying that we should not care. This is not a problem. There's no crisis. It doesn't matter. It's all racism. It's all because Trump is bad. Orange Trump equal bad. That's all they that's all they really think about. And we should all be very troubled about the fact that the Democratic Party is now selling this country out. They are selling us out. All of us. Everybody, everybody who's an American is being sold out by the Democratic Party because they do not care about assimilation in this country. They do not care about rule of law in this country. All they care about is the relentless pursuit of power. And they see continued illegal immigration, the lawlessness, the pain, the suffering that comes along with it, both for the illegal immigrant in many cases and for the people that have to deal with this in their communities or at the border. They see that as the cost of doing business now. That's the Democrat view of it. And anyone who says otherwise is either kidding themselves or an idiot. We've got more on this, by the way. I see we've got some breaking news I'll tell you about right on the side of the break. Stay with me. I've just had an opportunity to speak with President Trump, and he, I would say to all my colleagues, has indicated he's prepared to sign the bill. He will also be issuing a national emergency declaration at the same time. And I've indicated to him that I'm going to prepare, I'm going to support the national emergency declaration. So for all of my colleagues, uh, the president will sign the bill. We'll be voting on it shortly. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. I wish I could say otherwise. I was just digging in a little more into the the fine print. Um, and this bill has some real Trojan horse stuff in it. I mentioned this to you at the top of the show, but I, I was looking at it again. And you can't remove any potential sponsor, member of a household of a potential sponsor. So this means that anyone who is in the family of somebody that has an unaccompanied minor uh, border crosser cannot, cannot be deported. Think about the incentive structure here. Now, if you haven't sent your kid to the southern border, you better darn well do it. ASAP. Send as many kids as you can to the border for families that have already been split up by some people coming to America illegally. Lots of that going on. And once you've done that, this bill, if Trump signs it, as I'm reading it here, I mean, I'm seeing it described as, quote, a, a bill to turn a uh, children into human shields against deportation for would-be illegal immigrants. From a Mickey Kouse here, who is a Democrat, but... And immigration, really, the guy lives in California and he understands what immigration is really doing. Um, this is this is a big problem. I, I, I don't. I don't think Trump can sign this. I don't know if he's going to. We'll know by the time I guess the show is over tonight. But 
I don't think Trump is going to be in a position to sign this thing without when when we realize what's by the way, it's over a over a thousand pages. This bill. Folks, this is a disaster. This is not good. Oh, my gosh. This is what we've been fighting for this whole time. This is what we've been trying to uh, trying to get to. This is the the end state. It's just not good enough. The local veto against the wall for politicians along the way. There, these are all Democrat districts now because they're along the border. Because of the impact of illegal immigration over years and years and years, these are now, even in places like Texas, these are flipped flipped in terms of their uh, partisan affiliation. It's It has already happened. Um, but this shielding of people from deportation, if they have any connection whatsoever to an illegal alien crosser child, keep in mind that people are saying that they are 16 who are 30. And they very rarely will go through the process of trying to medically prove that they are not 16 or 17. They just let them in the interior of the country. Um, This is less money than the Democrats originally agreed to. Veto power over the wall. Um, You know, this encourages even more legal immigration. This is this is a bad, the bad bill, folks. I, I wish I know I'm a bummer. I'm sure there's some like little Trump cheerleaders somewhere that are doing radio shows or something. They'll say, oh, it's great. He's a nope. I'm sorry. I I wish I could tell you this was good. It's not good. I wish I could say that this negotiation has yielded the results that I've been hoping for all this time. Nope. And there's also a concern about if he signs the the budget bill and then declares a national emergency. Why wouldn't you declare the national emergency before signing the bill? I know it sounds like just a process issue or a process question, but I, I think that there could be some ramifications to that, too. You're just going to you're going to tell us there's a national emergency, but you're just going to sign a budget for business as usual. This is a little bit at cross purposes, isn't it? I know I'm keeping it real and people don't always get excited about that, but we've got a much more show coming up. I think the president's going to spot. It depends on how they write the language. He's certainly inclined to, to sign it. And there's some things in there that, that are good for uh, border security and let him uh, march toward uh, filling in the gaps by executive action. Executive action, huh? That's what this has all come down to. Look, we, we were told that Trump was, he said it. I'm not saying that this isn't even somebody else describing this way. He's the greatest negotiator ever. How am I to tell you sitting here that this negotiation is one that Trump has, has been successful in? I, I can't say that. I, I speak the truth to you. It's what I, that's my mandate every day here on the show. This negotiation did not go Trump's way. This bill is a bad bill. The mon- it's not just the money. It's the provisions within the bill. It's the 1,100 pages. You dig into some of this stuff. You say, wait a second. This is going to make the problem worse at the border. This is going to be more lawlessness, more open borders. And they're just trying to slam this thing through and hope that nobody reads it. I'm just looking at certain provisions of it. I haven't had time to read an 1,100-page bill. Who- who's going to read the 1,100-page bill? Why is it 1,100 pages? And it's dealing with immigration issues that no one's talking about? They're trying to just, this is classic swamp behavior. This is all of the stuff 
that we believe that Trump was fighting against. And I'm not blaming it entirely on the president. That wouldn't that's not fair either. I'm just trying to describe the situation as it is. And this is a loss for anybody who wants border security and interior enforcement and an end to all the different scams that are currently being run to get around our legal immigration system for people who think that they have a right to be here. And a Democratic Party that is is absolutely shameless on this. You know, Trump said that we were, you know, that he was going to fight on this one and now we're going to go into a declaration of emergency. Now, the, the Democrats in this, I, I can tune out a lot of their criticism on this. Oh, it's going to set a terrible precedent. A couple of things on the precedent talking point. You're going to hear a lot of that. Assuming Trump signs, signs this thing tonight. Oh, by the way, I told you those breaking news. Side note, Bill Barr has been sworn in as the attorney general. So we have a new attorney general, everybody, Bill Barr. I also think we're going to hear the end of the Mueller probe uh, within the next two weeks. That's why. That's right, John. I, I, I put I put it on the table, my friend. I make the bold predictions here. I think you're going to have it within two weeks. Uh, and that doesn't mean that this ends. They're just going to go into different investigations. They're just going to act like the Mueller probe was the appetizer. And the main course is going to be all the different congressional inquiries and all the subpoenas that are going to fly and these are just remember, these are just de- don't don't get all caught up in the titles. Deputy attorney general, deputy assistant attorney general, blah, all this stuff. These are just Democrat lawyers for the most part. And Bob, Bar- I'm sorry, Bill Barr. I'm not the only one who does that. Everyone says Bob Barr. Bill Barr is. A competent guy, and I think he'll do a, I think he'll be do a solid job. Um, Bill Barr is solid. But. The DOJ problems, and we're going to get more into this in the next hour, what we found out about what's going on, with what was going on with Andy McCabe, and really bad stuff. Really, really bad stuff. Uh, all right, so back to just the executive order, the executive order component of this. One, Obama was essentially ruling by executive order in the second term. Obama gave us DACA, which is now treated as law that can't be overturned. DACA is almost to the left now like a constitutional right. The president can't overturn DACA. It was just presidential discretion, but now they're saying because of the the processes of fair notice, and I mean, they're just, they're just making stuff up. Anything in the court to keep DACA alive and well. And even if you say, Buck, we're not going to deport a lot of people covered under DACA, yeah, but it becomes then part of the bargain for a real deal on immigration. But Obama was doing this stuff, and we all said, you know, this sets a really bad precedent. They didn't care. They didn't care. As long as the left was getting what they wanted, they were fine with it. So that's part one of this, all right? And then on the, oh, my gosh, look at the precedent Trump is setting by declaring a national emergency. This will be like other things that Trump has done that he has a legal right to do as president. In some cases that he has statutory support for specific laws passed by Congress to help him accomplish something. And they still stop him. The court still shut him down. And now what we'll have to look at is, all right, what comes next after the court shut this down and how quickly can the Trump administration prevail on this? I don't think it'll be able to prevail before the next election. So really, this just punts it past 2020. But those who are saying that the, the liberals are going to seize on this and they're going to, yeah, they would seize on it any, 
if they get power again, do you think they're going to say, well, we were going to do this by executive fiat, but, you know, we want to play fair because Trump was fair on this one. This is nonsense. This is just allowing a kind of Boy Scout, no offense to the Boy Scouts, but Boy Scout attitude to prevail in what is a an all out political street fight. And that's what the Trump administration's in right now. And this I'm telling you, this is a bad bill that they're about to sign. And the national emergency is not going to change anything. So we're not winning this fight right now. The fight's not over. I got to hear from the White House. I got to make some calls what they're planning next. But right now, Trump is not winning. Trump is not, in fact, going to come out on top of this. What what is the strategy? And how do we get the base fired up? I don't remember. It was build the wall if we have 60 senators, you know. Build the wall if we have a supermajority. Build the wall if we have all of government and Republicans that are wimps on this issue. You know, that was not that was not the chant. It was make me president. We will build a wall. If we can't now as a country have an election where the central the central differentiation point for the winning candidate is a promise to build a barrier at our southern border. If we can't accomplish that. These people are talking about a Green New Deal and how we went to the moon. I want to say to them, you guys won't even let us build a fence. Won't let us build a fence. Unless it's around some fancy celebrity's house. We'll be right back. Well, look, all they got to do, as you said earlier, talk to the angel moms. But you know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer refuse to talk to angel moms. They refuse to go down the border and talk to the experts of men and women in green to put their lives on every day. So they don't know what a manufacturer crisis is. They say the wall is immoral, it's ineffective. They refuse to look at the data because the data shows every place that various mobilities worked. And you, and you forgot one number, Sean. 138,000 criminal aliens were arrested by ISIS past year. Illegal aliens that committed crimes in this country. They just didn't appear here. They come, they come across the southwest border. So it's, it's, it's terrible. Well, that Tom Homan's out there making the case. And it's important for as many Americans as possible to be brought the truth. And the truth is that the Democrats have aligned themselves now with the status quo at the border, which means the Democrats have aligned themselves with accepting large numbers of illegal of illegal aliens entering the country, a massive asylum scam, the flooding of our communities with drugs that come from across the border and all of the political and social and economic disruptions of the lawlessness that occurs not just at the border, but also in communities across the country that have to bear the brunt of sanctuary city policies of, you know, they, they say that there's no downside to this. They, they act like it's not a big deal. Well, guess what? 1,600 murderers, illegal alien murderers are currently in ICE custody. So it's just not a tenable position. They try to cling to this, but it's not a tenable position for them to claim that there is not, in fact, a major problem here. But they don't want to deal with it. In fact, the only funding that they really want to do, the only way they really uh, want to tackle this problem is by saying that they want more money to process those who are scamming our system to get them into the country even faster and to ensure that there are even more left-wing judges who are going to just say, you know what, we're not going to, we're never going to enforce our laws, so we might as well not start now and we, we might as well just keep letting people stay. 
just keep letting people stay. At a minimum, I know I'm upset with Trump on this issue, and I think that this is uh, this is not what it should be in terms of the deal. I think the deal is it's not a good deal. And if Trump is going to sign it and declare a national emergency, I've seen this coming for a long time. A lot of people have. It's not correct to call this a win. It's just the fight continues, but it's not a win. At a minimum, though, the administration has woken, I hope, gosh, I hate using the term woke now because of the left, but has made a lot of people realize who would not have otherwise that there's a real problem going on and it has to be dealt with and that we do not have willing partners in the Democrats for dealing with this. In fact, they are complicit in the continued illegality. They are seemingly unbothered by all of the negative effects of the drugs that are flooding into this country and by the cartel activity, the cartels, the human trafficking is funding the cartels the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Human trafficking is the people that are being currently brought to the border or brought into the United States illegally by coyotes who all work for the cartels. Those same cartel organizations have made the Mexican government its puppet, They have made police forces across the country, military forces in many cases, their pawns. They they absolutely corrupt them. And they're responsible for tens of thousands of murders a year. So once again, we have Democrats posing as people who really care about these kinds of problems, posing as individuals who want to do everything in their power to make life easier for these migrants But what about all the Mexicans and Hondurans who don't come to this country? Shouldn't they have some hope that their neighbors to the north don't want the cartels to be able to make hundreds of millions of dollars a year doing illegal alien and human smuggling operations? So I do give Trump credit at least for that. Romney was actually good on immigration. You know, that is a total nonsense, a total aside. But Romney was actually good on illegal immigration. One of the few Republicans. You think back to what Republicans have been saying on this issue for a while. Every time they were supposed to be uh, running for re-election and the border came up in some capacity, they're all border hawks. And then their legislation is always, well, yeah, we, we got to do amnesty and we'll figure out the rest. Trump, at least, is not that. At least, is not that. He has not won this battle, but he still seems willing to fight it. So much crime comes in through our southern border. Illegal immigration provides a lucrative cash flow, to put it mildly lucrative, to some of the most dangerous criminal organizations on the planet. These deadly cartels flood our cities with narcotics that kill thousands of our citizens, ruin families. They use fear, intimidation, and violence to get their way. There is only one moral course of action to put these ruthless criminal cartels out of business and out of business fast. I will never waver from my sacred duty to defend this nation and its people. We will get the job done. I can't think of a single policy that Democrats are advocating right now in this whole border dispute that would really make things harder for the cartels. In fact, The most important thing you could do would be to stop the human smuggling. That would maybe you could argue with me about whether we could stop the importation of drugs or not or or cut it down, whether that would just affect the street price 
I know those arguments. I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar with the history of the drug war. I get it. But the people that are being brought into the country are currently a huge source of funding for the operations of the cartels. And there's just no willingness in the Democrat side to try and tackle that problem set. So, you know, we're, we're in this situation right now where I think the president did what right now he had to do. I don't think that another shutdown would have been a smart political thing to do. The Democrats would have just dug in and they would have just rubbed Trump's face in it once again. There would have been no change in that dynamic. And if he does sign this and declare the national emergency, we've I've been saying all along, everyone knows it. It goes in the courts right away. And then we kind of return to business as usual. And then we get into a situation for the next election, I guess. And we're going to have Republicans saying, see, we tried, but I'm not going to forget that the Republicans did almost nothing on this issue for the first two years. I'm not going to forget that they made a lot of promises, but then when push came to shove, not just on immigration, but on health care and a bunch of places, the Republican Party could not get it done. I know we don't and I don't have the alternative because the left is so crazy. I mean, you know, the Republicans are the party we've got. But we can't just go along and say, hey, you know what? We're going to support you no matter what, and it's all okay, and it's all fine. Uh, we've got to push them to take the right actions. And when we don't, when we're just kind of happy with funny tweets and smacking around annoying left-wing reporters on TV and all that stuff, you know, when that's the, the standard, how surprised can we really be when it doesn't result in any, any actual change? So, look, I'm I'm I don't know. And by the time you listen to this, maybe it'll already be signed and then we'll already be in a state of emergency. I mean, I'm as we go to air. This is what we're being told. I, I think the situation has been pretty disappointing. And I think that the president, you know, maybe I don't know. Mike, what do you think? No. What, what, what would have if we want to do a shutdown again? Is there any the Democrats will just dig in. They'll outlast them like they did the last time. I don't see how we get around this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, so be, what's uh... the. This is ne- I'm not familiar with any time when a shutdown has resulted in the Republicans getting what they want. And they took a they took a political beating this last time around because of the shutdown. I, I don't see how that would change. And we do have to be mindful of the fact that we're heading into a 2020 election cycle here. I think June or July is the first Democrat debates, right? The primaries uh, of the primary. And. While I don't think people will remember the last shutdown, if you do two shutdowns and the media gets to run wild with it and talk about how heartless and terrible Trump is because of all this, then we may be in a bad spot. And we may be in a situation where it has ramifications for 2020. Um, But we we should have had we should have had a, a wall in progress already. And we don't. And that is a disappointment. We do have, however, a confirmation of the attempted soft coup against the president of the United States, courtesy of one former acting FBI director, Andy McCabe. This is a huge story from today that we are going to have to talk about. And I don't know if some people in the, in the conservative media are just exhausted by this, but I'm surprised there's not more outrage. Man, you got to get fired up every day, right? You know how it is. You got to get into the grind. Well, if you're going to be grinding, You might as well have some Black Rifle Coffee, right? That's the way I do it. Black Rifle Coffee is absolutely 
delicious. I'm now probably a three-cup-a-day guy. I was at two, but I just need my black rifle. And the good news is that this is coffee that can be delivered to you. So not only is it delicious, not only does it uh, taste amazing, it also is a company that will send it to you, to your front door, if you join the coffee club. And they support veteran and first responder causes. So support a great company. Drink great coffee. Have it delivered to you. This has got nothing but win, win, win all the way down the line. Wake up with America's Coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck for 15% off. Again, Black Rifle Coffee. Dot com slash buck. I was speaking to the man who had just run for the presidency and, achieved, and, and won the election for the presidency and who might have done so with the aid of the government of Russia. How long was it after that that you decided to start the obstruction of justice and counterintelligence investigations involving the president? I think the next day I met with the team investigating the Russia cases and uh, I asked the team to go back and conduct an assessment to determine where are we with these efforts and what steps do we need to take going forward. I was very concerned that I was able to put the Russia case on absolutely solid ground in an indelible fashion that were I removed quickly or reassigned or fired, that the case could not be closed or uh, vanish in the night without a trace. That is the interview that was rocketing across the Internet today with former acting FBI director Andrew McCabe saying that, oh, well, among many things we'll talk to you about, of course, but saying that he was deeply concerned that somebody would try to shut down the Russia investigation after Comey was fired, that Comey was that the firing of Comey was a red line, in essence, that had been crossed. And that people I've seen. I mean, I've read more and more of this guy's stuff today that people were wandering the hallways crying. If that's the case, if you think that the firing of the direct I can tell you this. I worked at the CIA. Nobody that I knew would have cried if the CIA director had been fired. That is a bizarre, childish thing to do. So there's some there's some perspective that I can give you here that you won't hear from a lot of other folks because they've never been in these kinds of large bureaucracies. We don't give a what who the director is in these places. The people that are doing and remember, I was a little I was low down the low down the org chart. I was going to say totem pole, but I feel like that's going to get. Can I say that? Am I appropriating? Eh, Maybe I'll ask Elizabeth Warren. So I, I was low down the org chart. That's right, John. I lean into it. I look around, I look over the edge, then I say, booyah, I'm going to jump. So You are a rude, terrible person. Fair, fair point. Fair point. So I, I look at this, though, and I say, the stories that McCabe is telling about how adults are crying in the hallway because James Comey was fired by the president, Comey acted in egregiously politicized fashion, and there's no debate about this. When he stood in front of the country and, and said uh, that there'll be no charges against Hillary. That's just a fact now. I mean, there's really not a two sides to that discussion. That is just what has happened. That is the reality. And here we are listening to McCabe, who, according to the FBI's own inspector general, lied multiple times under oath 
and lied in regards to leaks to the press about Russia investigated uh, Russia investigation related materials. And I want to know some things like why shouldn't he be prosecuted? Why shouldn't he be, uh, you know, found guilty and, and sent to prison if, in fact, he did lie? Remember, we have been told many times now process crimes are real crimes. If you lie to the FBI, you should go to prison. Meanwhile, those people who say that the anti-Trump lunatics out there who's like, oh, that's right. Lock up, lock up Roger Stone. Who thinks that the world's a better place because Roger Stone goes to prison? For lying about trivialities, lying about effectively nothing. But they say that lock him up, lock him up. Meanwhile, if you lie to Border Patrol, you're also supposed to be able to be prosecuted. But Border Patrol gets lied to so much. It's part of the whole lawlessness of, of the system down there that prosecutors know if they start prosecuting people for that, that they're just, the, the system will come to a screeching halt. They, they, all they'll be doing is prosecuting people who lie to Border Patrol all the time. So that's that should tell you that doesn't mean that it does. It's not a problem. It means that the problem is so big that they can't even begin to deal with it. But back to McCabe, he has lied multiple times. He has not been charged. I would like to know why. And he is now coming out and saying and confirming what we've already known for quite a while, but which is now, I think, beyond any reasonable doubt, that the FBI was engaged in an effort to overthrow the president of the United States, have a coup, get rid of the president. Get him out of office. The top of the FBI was trying to get rid of this president. That should be a stunning revelation. That should be, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about this? Meanwhile, the the media and the press is like, wow, Andy McCabe really saying some troubling things about the president. I think the troubling thing is that this bureaucrat, this obvious Democrat, Wife was buddy-buddy with McAuliffe and the Clintons and got all this money to run as a Democrat. We're, we're reaching a point now because things are so polarized that it's increasingly hard to trust any lib in the senior reaches of the law enforcement bureaucracy and trust that they're not trying to get their extra points for wokeness, trying to get their extra points for being some kind of a social justice warrior. You know, we're, we're rapidly reaching a point where, you know, we're going to have to look at this and say, hold on a second. What is going on here? This is crazy. This is completely nuts. The FBI director, former acting FBI director, is admitting to trying to leave in place an investigation that cannot be overturned, an investigation to find Russian collusion that Mueller, after two years, has not been able to find. What was this based on? Are these idiots that he's talking about at the FBI, are are they still trying to cling to this whole, oh, it's Carter Page and Papa Dot? That's that's what he was so worried about? Unless they have something that we don't know about, which I think is increasingly in the realm of fantasy, but unless there's some huge thing that somehow has not come to light about what the FBI not even necessarily knew, but thought they knew about Russia-Trump collusion, how can they justify any of this? How does this make any sense? And now you have Mueller, I mean, you have uh, McCabe coming out and saying that there were discussions about the 25th Amendment. That was all real. 
And Rod Rosenstein, who is the deputy attorney general who's been overseeing the Mueller probe, thought about wearing a wire against this president. We're supposed to think that these people have fair judgment about, but based on what? I just wish they could tell me one thing. Rosenstein, McCabe, Comey, where is the there there? Where is the thing that I'm supposed to say, oh my, Trump really did cross a line. I hear all this stuff about, oh, it's undermining democracy and our institutions and we got to make sure that, and then I say, okay, well, well, what is it? What did he do? Uh, Manafort didn't pay his taxes and lied to the investigation that was sicked on him because he worked for Trump for a few months in the campaign as the campaign director. That, that doesn't. That doesn't get it done. Sorry, that that doesn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. This is just crazy. Oh, yeah, Roger Stone maybe lied. about No, 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 false. How is there not more outrage about this? How are people not more unsettled at the prospect of these bureaucrats at the top of the FBI and the top of the DOJ thinking that they have a right to just go with these rogue investigations of the president Justify a lot of it after the fact, I'm sure, in an effort to stop him from being the president. And, you know, when when we say, okay, you know what? Tell us why. Why were you so worried about Trump? Andy McCabe, why were you so concerned? We're supposed to believe you. Oh, they got to protect the investigation. Oh, we can't. Okay. What was going to happen? What was going to be that big reveal? Or what is the big reveal? Absolutely nothing so far. And Chris Starwalt said it well today. We know what to think of the Russian investigation. That is the House that said there's no collusion. The Senate has said there's no collusion. I would bet my house that Mueller says there's no collusion. There is no evidence of it two years later. And what, what I think we have to ask ourselves is how in the world was this man, the acting director of the FBI, when he exercised this kind of judgment? An individual who seriously said we should implement the 25th Amendment, which is essentially a coup. I mean, it's essentially treason to say we're going to remove this president based on what? Based on nothing. And that is the person who is acting director of the FBI on Comey's recommendation. It brings into question every other subsequent investigation. And as you said, FISA, Carter Page. Look, Carter Page has been accused of treason for two and a half years now. What is the evidence of that? Nothing. I totally agree with the representative here. Representative Chris Stewart. What? Where are we supposed to look for this smoking gun, a gun of any, a water gun, I would take at this point. Give me something. Two years in, all the news coverage, all the supposed bombshell stories, all the fake news, everything. Where is the aha moment? And remember, it's not just an aha moment. It's where is the aha moment to justify this absolutely insane absolutely insane effort to try and get rid of this president. Where is it? How could any of this be justified? I mean, I see, you know, Comey's uh, staffer is like the like pajama boy meets the FBI going on TV at CNN all the time talking about how, you know, this is all fine. And, yeah, they're going to Mueller. And, you know, he's one of these little Mueller cheerleaders. They got a whole slew of them over at CNN. Okay, what are they cheering for exactly? 
What are we supposed to find out? <sighs> it's it's mind-blowing what has happened here. It really is. It is completely and utterly wild what these these are democrats in bureau you know these are democrat bureaucrats that's it these are partisan actors in the most powerful justice and law enforcement agencies in the country and they couldn't handle hillary's loss and they don't like trump and they think he's icky and so they wanted to come up with some way to get rid of him and now this is you can't even deny it how is any other story right now uh, about the Mueller probe getting any attention? I mean, I see, you know, I know that the media can't be trusted, but this is beyond. This is it's wild. I reading the stuff today with McCabe. I also want to know if he is not prosecuted, if McCabe is not prosecuted for lying, justice is dead in this country. McCabe lied multiple times under oath about a matter under investigation and of importance to the FBI, to the Department of Justice. If he is not prosecuted, justice in this country is a sham. We have a two-tiered system of justice. I'm just going to put it all on this because I'm pretty confident they're not going to prosecute. They're going to find some special, oh, we like Andy, he was one of us, carve out for this guy. You know, I'll say this. They do this at the FBI at the CIA, man, if you get on the if you get on the wrong side of the law somehow, the CIA they 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 throw you under the bus and light you on fire. They don't care. FBI though, DOJ, they seem to cover for their own in a weird way. So we'll be right back. You're probably familiar with AARP. Somebody you know could already be a member, but did you know that the AARP is really left wing? That's why I recommend AMAC because. AMAC gives you all the benefits of a seniors organization that's going to advocate for you, but it's also going to advocate for your beliefs because it shares your values. So sure, with AMAC, you get discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, but you also have an organization that's going to be pushing for the policies that matter to you, an organization that fights for your values like protecting our borders and enforcing a smaller government and less taxation. All right. So stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck because AMAC is better, better for you, better for America. Become a member today and tell some friends. And you will hear impeachment being talked about more and more. Eighty percent of Democrats believe that he should be impeached. Get up in the face of some Congress people. We're here to say that an agency like ICE, which repeatedly and systematically violates human rights, does not deserve a dime. I think we need to abolish ICE. That seems really clear. Eliminating ICE, for instance, and President yes. Trump. Yes. By replacing ICE with something that reflects our morality. Capitalism without rules is theft. Brothers and sisters, there's plenty of money in the world. There's plenty of money in this city. It's just in the wrong hands. Going to tax all your assets wherever located around the globe. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. Who came forward? 
to save Earth from the scourge of, of Nazi and totalitarian regimes. We came forward. Humanity is in crisis. For mothers in labor, um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. How late in the third trimester could a, a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the, of the woman? So, I mean, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay, but to the end of the third trimester. Yep, I don't think we have a limit in the bill. Where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth. She has physical signs of, of, that she is about to give a birth. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. My bill would allow that, yes. We are in a war for the soul of this country, my friends. We, I know we just pulled together there a whole bunch of different, very memorable moments from the uh, progressive left in recent weeks and months. That is what we are up against. And when you understand that and you see and you hear the radicalism of the Democratic Party, everything that we are talking about now and finding out about McCabe, about the invocation of the 25th Amendment, about the effort to engage in a soft coup against a duly elected president who, yes, has has plenty of flaws, folks. I'm aware of just about all of them. No one's saying he's perfect. No one's saying he's, he's been able to do everything he said he was going to do yet. I think he's a lot better than Hillary Clinton. And I think that he's actually done some pretty great stuff as president. Yet they... Absolutely hate his guts. And the same mentality that has people that are supposed to be wise and educated and and influential clapping for the Green New Deal, clapping for infanticide in those bills in Virginia and New York State. You know, those same people get jobs in the federal government. Those same people can become CIA or FBI director. Once you understand that then it's really not that surprising that that Andy McCabe is coming out and saying that they were running essentially a a counterintelligence operation, not investigation, a counterintelligence operation against the president of the United States. I mean, they were thinking about wiring up the acting attorney general and the deputy attorney general, rather. And we're supposed to think that that guy, Rod Rosenstein, is an honest arbiter of what's going on in the Mueller probe? I mean, who can take this stuff seriously? Who can believe this this lunacy? Where's the accountability? Where's the honesty? I mean, CNN tonight was running chirons on how breaking news, I'm not making this up, breaking news, President Trump's latest physical says he's obese. I mean, they specialize now in fake news and fat shaming. Well, the president's an older guy. You know, he's got a little more. Trump's got a little more junk in the trunk. He's got a little more to love. You know, he's cuddly. Leave him. Leave the man alone. The, the uh, MSNBC trotted out a former Obama doctor who said, I'm a little concerned with Trump's difficulty finding words when he speaks. Oh, my gosh. They're going the healthers. They're not birthers. They're healthers. The healthers are back now. They're resurfacing. We're going we're gonna to start putting the psychiatric community from afar, right? The, the I'm going to diagnose Trump without ever having spoken to him stuff, which any actual psychiatrist will tell you is wildly unethical. They're going to start doing that. 
I saw the president on TV last night, uh, Bob, and uh, I think that uh, he's actually crazy. We got more coming up. You got all these, uh, all these people talking about socialism all of a sudden. My great friend Winston Churchill, you know, I, I knew him and, and I commune with him on a regular basis nowadays. If you're not a socialist in your 20s, you have no heart. And if you're not a capitalist in your 30s, you have no mind. Working folks want to embrace capitalism, not some state-run, state-controlled socialism that will set our economy back 100 years or more. It just shows what happens when you have a generation without growth. We're just beginning to get well, growth, is you get envy. And most Americans don't care if Bill Gates is worth $96 billion or $960 trillion. They want to know, are their opportunities in life improving? Are their wages going up? Are they going to have chances for a better job for themselves, better future for their kids? That's what Americans want. This redistribution mentality we have today, are they paying too much or too little? Everyone should pay less, and the government would collect more from the prosperity resulting thereof. It's really not what Democrats want. They want higher taxes. They are embracing socialism. And I think it's important to take a step back and say, well, hold on a second. It's really not that they've changed all that much. It's not that the agenda has all of a sudden been a radical departure from what the agenda had previously been. It's just that now they're open about what they're trying to accomplish. It's that the ends have become so clear that it's increasingly difficult, I think, for anybody to believe that they aren't pushing openly for socialism. So this is a clarification. It's not a sea change. It's not a massive shift in mentality. This is a clarification on what the Democratic Party is and and has become. Um, But I did think it was an interesting, it was interesting to hear from Steve Forbes there. You obviously had Kudlow being Kudlow. I, I like Kudlow. I got it, right? He's a, I can see why people like the guy and why he was a successful TV host and everything. He does have a, a charm to him, for sure. Um, but you got Kudlow and Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes is talking about this, too, how people are feeling like they're not getting ahead, and there are a lot of other people who do. You know, the, the truth is that the, the kind of concentration of wealth, and I, you know, some of my conservative friends get very, oh, no, no, you can't, and the free market, the free market— Well, when you have the kind of concentration of wealth that we have seen now, you are talking about the the building of multi-generational dynasties and people that are tied to or are part of those financial dynasties. They're going to be living very different lives from the folks who are competing on a global scale for their jobs now and also are competing with the influx of unskilled workers, which, as I've mentioned, I believe, the bill that the president is supposed to sign. Mike, do we know when it's going to get signed, by the way? Do we know when, when it's supposed to happen? Uh, I'm pretty sure today, but I'm not 100 percent sure. We're not, they, they haven't announced. They I, I guess they got to go through the process, right? But I don't know if sometimes yeah. they get word out here about how you know, the bill will get signed at a certain time. So regardless, I, I think that uh, people look at this now and they say, hold on a second. Um, I have to compete with a globalized economy, which was not was was not the case before, the internet, the technology of the internet has has dramatically changed things. A lot of great stuff, but also some pretty serious social upheaval, and and shifts that have occurred as a result of it. And then you've got the influx of legal and illegal labor. By the way, the legal labor issue is there's going to be more. Um, is it H one Bs? I got to check, but they're they're bringing in even more 
people to come through the legal immigration process as part of this bill. They always like to sneak that stuff in there because the donor class likes it. The donor class likes it. And what you end up seeing, and this is what is really concerning to me going into 2020, is an economy that right now, because things feel pretty stable, it's fine. If things get really bad, if we have a major, and remember, nobody saw the major, you know, if you could see a major downturn coming, maybe you could avert it. We got $22 trillion of debt right now. You go back to 2008. I was working at the CIA. I remember when the first real murmurs of the financial crisis were starting to, you know, bubble up to the surface. People didn't know. And by the time they knew it was too late, you know, once Lehman Brothers was the first one to be sacrificed of these Wall Street banks for its uh, profligate insanity, uh, once that happened, then it was like, oh, wow, we got a real problem here. But it's too late to just sort of turn around the cruise ship at that point. You're heading you're heading for the rocks. If we get a bad economy going into 2020, the Trump administration is going to be in trouble for reelection and socialism is going to sound very appealing to a lot of people. Remember, it doesn't have to sound appealing to 80% of the country. It just has to sound appealing to enough people to win to win the electoral college. And we're talking about a few hundred thousand people likely being the determining factor in that. So this is not, oh my gosh, there are there's no way that these I mean, you know, on the one hand, I'm talking about how extreme the left is, and that's important, so that we know these are unserious people. But just because they're unserious in their policy, it does not mean they are not a serious threat to implement those policies. Just because they're nuts doesn't mean they can't be in control. And the hyper-capitalist feeling right now in some sectors of the Republican Party where any kind of economic nationalism, any sense of a duty to country and not just to the global free market, which, as I've been saying, is not truly free, That's looked down upon for the most part on the right, except for Trump. But you still have the conservative mainstream and and most of the establishment Republican Party thinks that telling people, you know, learn to code, which now we've turned around on liberal journalists, of course, but telling people learn to code is a solution. Uh, you, You should just adapt to the change in the marketplace. Well, it's simply not that simple. And I think that this is this is a moment that the Republican Party needs to really make sure that it stays connected with normal, everyday folks who do feel like there's something there's something amiss. That the concentration of wealth that's going on, it's not the one percent, it's really the point zero zero one percent. But the concentration of wealth allows people to have not just an outsized influence in everything that's going on in the country. We see this with the Bezoses and the Bloombergs and others. Uh, but also, there's a sense that they're far too able to create lives that separate them from the Americans that they should be ostensibly living next to and dealing with. And, you know, Charles Murray does a very good job of this in a book that I recommend to all of you, Coming Apart, where he says that this is no longer, you know, the CEO lives in a bigger house than his workers, but he lives in the same general neighborhood. Maybe he drives a fancier car, but his kids go to the same school as some of the workers do. Or, you know, not, uh-uh. People are living in a different financial universe now. And you can say, Buck, that's fine. That's great. They're the people that give everyone else jobs. 
Right. Well, there's the economic reality and there's the political reality, and they don't necessarily uh, meet up. They're not necessarily the same thing. In fact, they're often not the same thing. And that's why I think when we're talking about what these super lefties are pushing for, we need to be careful. You know, it's one thing. Yeah, I can make fun of them and that's all that's all well and good. If things get really nasty in the economy, though, and it could be cyclical, it might not be Trump's fault. I don't think it would be Trump's fault. You could have a rush, a kind of stampede left in which socialism would be a much more serious or much more imminent concern for all of us. But then again, there's also AOC who's going to say a lot of dumb stuff. Medicare for all would save the American people a very large amount of money. Why aren't we incorporating the cost of all the funeral expenses of those who die because they can't afford access to health care? We look at these figures and we say, oh, unemployment is low. Everything is fine, right? Well, unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. We need to occupy every airport. We need to occupy every border. We need to occupy every ICE office. If we work our butts off to make sure that we take back all three chambers of Congress, uh, rather all three chambers of government, the presidency, the Senate, and the House. You use the term the occupation of Palestine. Mm. What did oh. you mean by that? Oh, um, I think it, what I meant um, is like the, the settlement. You know, Just last like, year, we gave the military a $700 billion uh, tax, uh, budget increase, which they didn't even ask for. And we're like... The world is going to end in 12 years right, if I'm we don't address climate change. I'm going to stop. The, I mean, the folks listening are probably like, Buck, what are you doing? That voice that you hear, remember, all the dumb things that we just pulled together for you, that voice that you hear is currently the most prominent and probably in the left-wing zeitgeist politician in the Democratic Party right now. It's hilarious and terrifying at the same time. And if we have a major financial downturn... It'll be mostly terrifying what happens next. That's the first time he's given a detailed account, an account that Chicago police have said has been consistent. He hasn't changed his story. They also said it's credible. Police have said that and also that he has been very cooperative. Have you ever been threatened before? Yeah, I get threatened all the time. And he, I asked him about if there were other possible threats that he had, threats that he had received. And he did talk about the letter that was sent to the Fox studio. Police have confirmed that letter. And despite lack of video surveillance footage, Smollett hopes to rewrite the narrative about that night. There's many reasons why Jesse wanted to sit down and do this. First was to say thank you to his many supporters. The, the times that he came emotional is when he was talking about gay youth and the LGBTQ community. What do you say to a young gay man, a young gay person? To learn to fight. Why do you think you were targeted? I can just assume, I mean, I come really, really hard against 45. And as I said earlier, the police have said he's been consistent, that he has been credible, that he has been cooperative. And the Wow, they're trying really hard, guys, to make the Jussie Smollett story seem like it all holds together. And what you were also hearing there, and that was all from uh, what Robin, what's her, from ABC, what's her name? Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts, thank you. Uh, Robin Roberts who is setting it up so that he's essentially now a hero, even if he made this up. Why, Mike? Because he has raised awareness of anti-LGBTQ sentiment. He has raised awareness of the vitriol across the country because of Trump. And even if he lied to raise the awareness, it's fine. 
He's already a hero because he's speaking out. They have they have built this guy. Look, it's there's a part of me that that's sort of the same way that the Fire Festival guy and those of you who are listening to the show, if you have not watched on either Netflix or Hulu the Fire Festival documentary, I'm telling you it's worth your time. It's pretty incredible. I've watched them both. I've heard there's a third one even that might be coming out. I think you you you've got to check out. But the Fire Festival guy is a massive fraud, a liar, and hurt a lot of people. That said. The hubris and the skill with which he executes that con, right? I mean, Mike, you, 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 you've almost got to respect him. I mean, he's a horrible guy, yeah. but you've almost got to respect him. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. He was a sociopath. But I, Jussie Smollett's story here, and look, is it, am I, am I 100% sure he's lying? No. I'm 99% sure he's lying. Now, I'm not 99% sure, and we've talked about this, that nothing happened to him and that he didn't maybe have some kind of a, uh, you know, a, a scuffle on the street with some people. I just don't believe all these flourishes about the noose and the MAGA country and all I, that just doesn't, doesn't wash. So what do you got? No, I was just saying like, you're right. It's like, how come all these Robin Roberts questions were all about like the activism side of it? How come they weren't about details of the attack? Yeah. It's a, it was a, it was a puff piece. I mean, it was a, let's make this guy into a hero such that it will be irrelevant. I'd be asking, what the guy look like? What'd they say? Yeah. Where are they from? Why'd they approach you? Where were you before they approached you? you Mike, know? stop with all that. Stop with all that truth-searching stuff. I just want to point out that uh, Kyle Smith over at National Review wrote this today. Jussie Smollett changes his story again. The actor Jussie Smollett talked about the alleged January 29th attack on him during a frigid night in Chicago, giving Good Morning America his fullest description yet of his claims. It differs substantially from what he told police initially after the alleged assault. Smollett told GMA that the alleged attack began with a nasty comment from one person who accosted him on the street. He heard someone yell empire and then F empire and then the N word. And then he replied, he now says, what the F did you do to me? The man added, this is MAGA country N word, then punched him in the face. He says he fought with the two attackers and as the two tussled, he became aware that a second assailant was present, kicking his back. After all of this, the two assailants simply ran away, and a shaken Smollett realized that there was a rope around his neck. Police have said that there is only a 60-second gap in the surveillance footage between an image of Smollett with no rope around his neck and an image of him with a rope around his neck. He told both uh, GMA that he was talking to his manager, Brandon Moore, during the attack, and that the phone was in his pocket, but that it fell on the ground in the scuffle. After the encounter, Smollett realized that Moore was still on the on the line. He picked up the phone and shouted at Moore, there's a blanking rope around my neck. He didn't call the police to tell them about the attack and the direction in which his attackers had fled. This is where, it, and so that's this is all from Kyle Smith's breaking down the, the versions of the story over National Review. He writes, in previous versions of the story, Smollett didn't mention the MAGA comment uh, in his first interview with police 40 minutes later, and B, in a TMZ story based on sources directly connected to Jussie, said the attackers yelled, this is MAGA country without the N-word. Hmm. Not at the outset of the attack, by the way, uh, by the way, but as they were leaving. That TMZ story also claimed Smollett had suffered a fractured rib. Smollett now says he suffered merely a bruised rib. That's a pretty substantial difference, too. And then you have the police request here. In the report, which was foiled, males dressed in black, one with a black ski mask covering his face, appeared simultaneously and both began with verbal abuse. There was no delay between when Smollett became aware of the first and second attack. 
The report says two unknown males approached him and gained his attention by yelling, Empire redacted, redacted, homophobic racial slurs. Yet Smollett told GMA, I saw where they ran. How does he know now if he did not know then? Because in the initial police report, it said the victim does not remember any distinguishing features or in which direction they fled. So the police report is inconsistent with the stuff that he's saying on TV. And there's more and more. I won't, I'm not going to read all of Kyle's piece here to you, but there's more and more of this. Now, I understand that people are going to say, oh, Buck, in the heat of the moment, when one is scared and, and frightened and all that, in the heat of the moment, um, you could forget details. How many allowances here are we going to make for this guy? How, how many? Yeah, that doesn't really add up, but maybe it's possible. I think we all know the answer to that. Uh, the only reason I stay on this is because in the first days when I was skeptical, I got a lot of I got a lot of heat from some people on, on Twitter, some blue checkmark folks on Twitter. And, and I just want to follow on this because they're going to drop this story and it's going to be like it never happened. And they're going to drop the story because no one's going to believe that it's true anymore. We're not there yet. There are some people who still believe this. Fewer and fewer people are believing it. And I'm not going to let it go. Don't go with some liberal email system, okay? They support progressive causes. They do not share your values. You want a great email system that will make sure that they are supporting your values. And that's what you get with iPatriots.us. iPatriots.us is the conservative alternative to liberal-based email services. It's secure, it's private, gives you more of what you want without all the ads and spam. Your email and files are safe with iPatriots Premium antivirus, anti-spam, 256-bit encryption. And iPatriots won't sell your information or support liberal agenda items like most free email providers. It's compatible with most email and most mobile devices, iPhone, iPad, Android, Windows Mobile, and BlackBerry. Show you're a patriot. Enter uh, promo code BUCK when you check out this new offer. Sign up month to month for your service and get the first month free. You won't be charged until your second month of service at the specified rate, and you can cancel anytime. Input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. I thought this was a fascinating piece, and uh, we will put it up on on Facebook here. It's on this site, Quillette, that does a, a fair amount of this um, outside the bounds of political correctness thinking and writing, which, of course, is great. It's uh, That's where our friend Andy No, who did all that work on Antifa, that's where he works. That's what he has been up to. But this piece is really a, a must read. And it's called Public Education's Dirty Secret, written by a woman named Mary Hudson. Now, I've talked to producer Mike about this one because I asked Mary to come on the show. And we are in email contact, so she knows who I am. But she has a Ph.D. in French, I think in French literature or maybe just French language. I forget. And Mike if you're teaching and you have a Ph.D. in French, not a Ph.D. in astrophysics or, or you know, chemistry, Ph.D. in French, you're probably a lib, right? So so which is OK. You know, she's she may be a lib. I don't know if she's a lib or not. We're just playing that. We're playing the odds here because she didn't respond when I said, would you like to come on? I, you know, would you? I've never heard of her before. I, she's just an educator from what I understand. We did ask her to come on the show and she she ghosted me, man. She ghosted me. So I don't know what to tell you. She said, I heard you really like my piece. That's really nice. And I said, yes, we want to have you on radio to talk about it. Silence. Or as we say, radio silence. 
So now I'm going to talk about her piece without her because I tried, right? We invited her on. I wanted her to be the one to tell us about it. You have got to read this thing. Uh, it's, I want to just read you the opening paragraph and then I'll kind of tell you all about how she's tackling some of the sacred cows of the public education system, uh, how she is um, completely fed up with what has been going on in some of the schools that she worked in in New York City. Let me just give you a little, this is her opening paragraph and then I'll tell you the stuff she talks about. Bad teaching is a common explanation given for the disastrously inadequate public education received by America's most vulnerable populations. This is a myth. Aside from a few lemons who were notable for their rarity, the majority of teachers I worked with for nine years in New York City's public school system were dedicated, talented professionals. Before joining the system, I was mystified by the school's abysmal results. I, too, assumed there must be something wrong with the teaching. This could not have been farther from the truth. Teaching French and Italian. Ciao, bella. Hey, that's all anyone knows how to say in Italian, right? That and uh, Nutella, which I guess isn't really Italian, but true or false, guys. You put Nutella on anything, it is delicious. It's dangerous to have it in your house because all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, like that old banana peel? That'll taste great with some Nutella on it. If you don't have anything better, Mike, you know you'll do it. Exactly. I haven't bought that stuff in years because I I would instantly put on 20 pounds. I can't even tell you. I know. I have to keep it out of my – because I can't even tell you. If if it's around, I'll be like, oh, like, obviously you should put Nutella on, like, Ritz crackers or something. I mean, I used to eat those things before I had celiac disease. But I'll just put it on anything. I once dated a girl who hated Nutella. I broke up with her 24 hours later. I think that's a smart move. I mean, this – you know. You, you, you can't be dealing with something like that, Mike. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you got yourself out un- of that situation. Unacceptable. I clearly have my priorities straight. Oh, you sent you any, any 1-800-Flowers to anybody today, producer Mike? Uh, the mom got uh, Sherry's Berries. Okay. But, uh, no 1-800-Flowers, huh? I see how it is. Miss Molly got 1-800-Flowers. That's all that really matters. All right. I'm sure she liked her Sherry's Berries, though, dude. Anything on Valentine's Day is nice. So, yeah, Nutella is delicious. I put it on weird things. I maybe even have put it on. I'm trying to think of the strangest thing. It probably made its way onto a luncheon meet at some point, which is really the, that's the, out. yeah, John is shaking his head. That's the outer reaches of what you should put Nutella on. When you're putting Nutella on ham, you've probably got a problem. Uh, but so anyway, this sorry, back to the story, which is the important part of all of this. Uh, teaching French and Italian in New York City high schools, I finally figured out why this was. Again, this is in the words of Mary Hudson. Um, Because the reason was so antithetical to the prevailing mindset. I worked at three very different high schools over the years, spanning a fairly representative sample. That was a while ago, but the system has not improved since. As the fundamental problem has not been acknowledged, let alone addressed, it would not be hard or expensive to fix. And then she goes into some details here. And, uh, well, here, here's some of it. The next three years were a nightmare. School always teetered on the verge of chaos. The the previous principal had just been dismissed, although it was never stated. All that was expected of teachers was to keep students in their seats and the volume down. This was an enormous school on five floors with students cordoned off into separate programs. Uh, And she just goes in. As the weeks dragged painfully into months, it became apparent the students wouldn't learn anything. It was dumbfounding. It was all I could do to keep them quiet. That is seated and talking amongst themselves. Sometimes I had to stop girls from grooming themselves or each other. A few brave souls try to keep up with instruction. 
A particularly good history teacher once told me that she interrupted a conversation between two girls, asking them to pay attention to the lesson. One of them looked it up at her scornfully and sneered, I don't talk to teachers, turning her back to resume their chat. And it goes on and on and on. This is a declaration from a seasoned teacher in the New York City school system. She went to various public schools here. And this is a declaration of how the students that she was supposed to be teaching were completely and utterly disrespectful to authority, suffered no consequences, and did not care. I, you know, you won't see people talking about this. It's so much more fashionable to say that the problem is that there's not enough funding. The problem is that the teachers need more. The teachers need smaller class sizes. You hear all this stuff all the time. Why do some of these schools have such atrocious? I mean, she talks about how people are graduating with what she would what she would honestly claim to be a fifth grade reading level. They're graduating from high school regularly. And people also then at the other end of this will say, we need to make college free for everybody. So now you're going to have everybody making the decision they need to take four years in, in getting an undergraduate degree, which is going to mean that if everyone can do that because it's free, you're going to have a lot of people going to college with fifth grade reading levels. Does anyone think that that really benefits those people who are going to college? Would they be better off learning a trade or skill? Isn't it interesting? When you say that, even as I say it, I realize people would sneer at that. They, they, they would sneer at how dare you say that people should, what, learn to provide a, provide a professional service that people need that they'd be well compensated for and that they could have career growth in and go back to school. No one's saying that if you were to become some kind of technician, some kind of skilled tradesman, uh, whether, you're, whether you're talking about being a welder or, or just getting a job for a few years to make some money and then go. No one says you can't go back to school. People just don't want to speak the truth about this stuff. That we have much more fundamental problems in the educational system in this country than small class size or the need for small class size and the need for more funding. We spend an incredible amount of money on public education in this country. But this whole piece, Public Education's Dirty Little Secret, is just about how you have all these kids. And, and she says it's really at the high school age is where it manifests itself. All these kids who don't want to listen, know that there will be no consequences for not listening, are openly disrespectful to teachers, have no inclination whatsoever to study or to learn, but also, and I thought this is really interesting, all believe that they should be able to go to college. So they won't study, they won't be quiet, but they think that they'll somehow just be pushed, that, that they'll be pushed because they've been pushed for the system so far, that they will be pushed through into college as well. That essentially the educational system exists to cater to them, exists to paper over their indifference, their ineptitude as they get older. It's not a good thing to be an 18-year-old who reads at the level of a 12-year-old. And these are based on statewide or national standards. No one ever talks about education this way. I mean, I know this. I remember my, my college girlfriend, well, one of two college girlfriends, but that's more information than anyone needs to know. One of my college girlfriends went into the Teach for America program. 
And this woman, Mary Hudson, talks with Teach for America, and she says these kids show up from Teach for America that are 23, and they've all been so programmed by Teach for America, but also the universities, that they're these little social justice advocates, and they always feel like they're the ones failing the kids. Meanwhile, an adult with a real educational background looks at them and says, no, these kids are acting like disrespectful punks. And you can't teach people who are disrespectful punks and don't care and believe the system should cater to them and the system should make everything go away. Mike, this is a this is an article about reality, my friend. Yeah. You know who can teach them? Oh, Their parents. parents. Yep. Where are they doing this? Where are they in this equation? M-I-A. We'll be right back. Global Verification Network, the only dual-certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company out there. Look, if you own a business, if you run a business, if you are in the HR department, you got to do background checks. People have a lot of ways of falsifying their information. This could become a liability for you. And don't you want to have the peace of mind of knowing that whoever you're hiring or whoever you're leasing out a property to or engaging in business transactions with is the person they say they are, somebody that you can trust, you know? Well, that's why you want Global Verification Network to be doing these background checks for you. They have risk mitigation experts across the country. Their headquarters are in Chicago. Just give them a call. Tell them about the way that you need this to get done, right? Whether you've got a lot of background checks because you've got a huge company or small, they can take care of it for you. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. I fail to understand uh, why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give uh, today to be truthful. If I can respond to that. Uh, um, it wasn't a question. I, I, On it was attack. That was it not, was that was attack, not a question. I that was the, I, I reserve the right I'm to my sorry. time. Yes or no, do you think that massacre was a fabulous achievement that happened under our watch. That is a ridiculous question, and I yes will not or no? It. No. I, I will. Sorry, Mr. I will Chairman, take that as a yes. I am not going to respond to that kind of personal attack, which is not a question. It's amazing to watch somebody who is as as ignorant and and foolish as Ilhan Omar try to go after someone of whether you like him or not or like his record or not as a longtime and very senior uh, member of the diplomatic corps, Elliot Abrams there, the U.S. envoy to Venezuela. You know, you have the, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, which Ilhan Omar sits on, much to the shock and displeasure of, of people who are not completely insane, uh, deciding to grill Abrams here and trying to score some cheap political points by talking about a massacre in El Salvador that occurred decades ago and you know leaves out of course the context about how we didn't want communism taking root in Central America Ta- communism took root in Cuba and it has been a problem for us ever since in fact is a problem to this day so while we can certainly have a robust and and serious discussion about the merits of anti-communist policy particularly during the Reagan and H.W. Bush years. And, you know, we, we could have that talk, but that does not mean that it's okay to say, is the massacre good? I mean, she's just trolling him. This is all this is. I mean, this this is how people now 
on the left get elected to higher office, they they just try to, to slam and shame conservatives whenever they have an opportunity. And I just think it's interesting that the left has taken a position on this. And I've seen this. I've even had a couple of Twitter exchanges with people that on some issues are, are reasonably intelligent. But on this issue, they're, they're just idiots where they're accusing the U.S. of fomenting a coup in Venezuela. And let me say that it is not possible for us to do much realistically in Venezuela that would make anything worse than it already is. This is really bad. Now, that doesn't mean we should send in troops and there obviously are limitations to this. But in terms of upsetting the apple cart, people are starving. People are losing 20 or 30 pounds because they don't have access to food. Inflation is 10 million percent or something. I mean, it's completely out of control. The country is collapsing. It's in free fall. And the, the left takes this approach of the problem here is that America is supporting Guaido instead of Maduro. The problem here is that the duly elected speaker of the parliament there is saying that he's the rightful because the last election was marred with fraud, that he's the rightful president. You know, it's not like we, we trotted in. Look, we've done this before, right? We've picked somebody who's in exile. It's not like we trotted in some individual that no one has ever heard of in that country. And no, what has happened here is we finally have said, look, we're, we're not going to be a part of we're not going to be a part of this Maduro dumpster fire situation. We are going to give diplomatic support to Guaido in Venezuela and the left. When you have people who are impoverished in Venezuela, who are starving in Venezuela, the country is a disaster. It is now a failed state. It has effectively narco state government. You have some of the top figures in the Venezuelan government are sanctioned for being narco traffickers. You know, you just go down the list. You've got 30,000 some odd murders, I think, a year there. I mean, the murder rate is sky high. There's no rule of law to speak of. There's no bread on the shelves, no milk in the in this store. And the problem that Ilhan Omar and others have with this is that America is meddling. I can understand the don't meddle in places where, you know, we, we don't have an interest or we don't care or where maybe, you know, the people should be allowed to determine their own fate. All we're doing is saying our American presence there, our diplomatic presence is going to be interfacing with this guy, not this guy. And we're joining with all of the decent countries of the Western uh, Hemisphere to say that we're not going to play games anymore with this guy, Maduro. We want to be involved with Guaido. And Ilhan Omar and these extreme leftist types, see, they just view this as an opportunity to try to trash Trump foreign policy. They don't really care about the suffering of people in a place like Venezuela, which I think is so interesting here. If they cared about the suffering of the Venezuelan people, wouldn't they be in favor of the U.S. supporting a Venezuelan leader who is duly elected, who, based on the Venezuelan constitution and on everyone's understanding of what happened in the last election there, sham election that Maduro ran, is the president, is, is the president of Venezuela. We're not imposing somebody. We're not. And do people say that we're engaged in a coup? Wouldn't we be engaged in a coup if we supported a dictator who's broken the law there and continuing to be in office? See, this is where foreign policy can get a little complicated. Just status quo is not the same as non-intervention.
status quo can actually be being a part of the of the problem, right? If you are are support, let's say we have diplomatic relations with a country, and then all of a sudden the leadership in that country decides that they're not going to recognize new elections that just happened, and we say sorry, you know, there's actually a government now that's that's supposed to supplant you or supposed to replace you. We're going to work with them. Are we engaged in a coup? You got to you got to pick sides here. There's there's no standing on the silence. But Ilhan Omar doesn't think about any of that. Ilhan Omar just likes to make foolish comments about how Elliot Abrams is responsible for a massacre in El Salvador decades ago um, because she's really trying to take pot shots at the guy. And this is how she gets her base excited. And this is how the left wing views people like Elliot Abrams, who are trying to make things better for the people of Venezuela. This is why a lot of the posturing you see on the left, it bothers me, a lot of the posturing you see on the left is um, hollow. You know, Oh, they care so much about people who are impoverished and who are oppressed, and they care so much about the third world. Well, really what they care about is how does playing to people's emotions affect their ability to be in power, to have authority over other Americans, and to get their way. That seems to be the single most important thing for a lot of these leftist people like Ilhan Omar that, that talk the language, they speak the language of social justice, but they don't really care about justice. They care about sounding like somebody who wants to make a difference in these areas. But really, when there are people who are oppressed, if it doesn't add up in a way that benefits them politically, they're done with it. They don't care. I think it's incredible. I mean, it shows that everyday Americans still have the power to organize and fight for their communities. And they can have more say in this country than the richest man in the world. Yeah, she thinks it's incredible, all right. AOC, happy that Amazon is not, in fact, going to build its New York City headquarters. I am here in New York City right now. I can tell you that I'm sure there are some people in the Long Island City section of Queens who are not going to be thrilled about what this might do to the uh, their, their real estate value. But Amazon has said that after much thought and deliberation, we've decided not to move forward with our plans to build a headquarters for Amazon in Long Island City. That was according to a spokeswoman from Amazon today. Turns out that uh, 70%, John, 70% of New Yorkers polled support Amazon coming to New York with the 25,000 jobs that it would bring with the campus, the headquarters, the restaurants and support systems that would probably pop up right next to the, the campus. But you had local politicians. That's right. The very left wing very progressive types who proliferate here in New York City. They thought that it was not okay to give one of the world's most valuable companies billions of dollars in tax incentives, according to the Wall Street Journal here. That's the main reason. Uh, So this is quite a reversal because there had been a long search for Amazon to find this. This is going to be its its second headquarters. And actually, some I'm sorry, it says 50,000 jobs was another estimate here. Five billion dollars in investment. And instead, it's going to go forward with Nashville and Virginia, northern Virginia, which depending on where you are, I find northern Virginia to be a pretty uninspiring place. But this just goes to show you that, uh, you know, the, the progressive mentality here in New York City is powerful enough that 
Even even Amazon can't break through with its, hey, we're going to hire a lot of people. We're going to hire a whole lot of folks. And that wasn't good enough because of the the tax breaks they're going to move here. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit of two, mind, two minds about this because on the one hand, it does seem strange that a company should have to be wooed to set up in a state via tax breaks. That is cronyism. Um, on the other hand, doesn't New York want to have Amazon here? Doesn't New York City want that to be part of the uh, jobs and financial ecosystem here? So we'll see. But Amazon is, is not going to be getting built here. And the progressives view this as, as some kind of a win. And you had like Councilman Jimmy Van Bramer say, quote, Amazon refused to change and accept New York values. And uh, yeah, Ocasio-Cortez view this as a as a huge victory. Oh, you know what this really comes down to, folks? Now that I see this in this piece. Anti-union. Amazon is anti-union. That that was a you see, anytime you're anti-union, you're going to run into the Democrat machinery in a buzzsaw like fashion. And that was a that was a big problem. Um, I, I left that out of the conversation up to this point. But. You have Amazon executives who had to sit there and get grilled about how much they're paid. And then also the fact that Amazon is not good when it comes to dealing with with unions, meaning that they don't cave to union demands. And yeah, that's that's why these because if you want to get elected in a place like New York City, you have to essentially you have to play ball with the unions. You have to do what they want you to do. You have to support the policies they want you to support. So I'm not surprised given that they went on, uh, they went on an anti-union, well, they went on the anti-union list. That was going to be enough to essentially knock them out of being warmly received in New York City. I am a little surprised that they managed, they managed to do this. And then, then Amazon pulled it after the fact. I figured they would have gotten this done beforehand, but, but no, seems like turns out Amazon just couldn't, couldn't take the heat and decided to get out of New York's kitchen. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed, Roll Call time. Before I get into it today, though, let me just say that uh, today is kind of a kind of a tough day. Um, not, uh, not the most fun day I've had in a while. I had to deal with some... Business issues, and Miss Molly had a uh, family emergency, so I am solo on Valentine's Day, which we were not anticipating, but she had a, a true family emergency she had to deal with. Um, so that, uh, you know, the day the day wasn't going, wasn't going great, I could put it that way, but I was walking through. I went to visit a friend of mine over uh, who works over at the uh, 30 Rock building here in New York City, and I was walking through the lobby there, and a young gentleman named Rahim, with a few of his friends walking past. And I had my earbuds in. I actually was listening to, um, uh, listening to a call at the time. And a guy, uh, Rahim, waves me down and says, You Buck Sexton? I'm like, as a matter of fact, I am, sir. And he goes, I listen to you all the time. And I said, Rahim, you just made my day. I'll give you a shout-out tonight on radio. And so here we are, Rahim. A shout-out, man. Thank you so much for the high five. Always nice to see a member of the team out and about. And uh, really did really did appreciate it. And I hope you had a good rest of your day with uh, the folks you were um, hanging out with. So thank you so much. And uh, great to see you, my friend. All right. With that, we will do some roll call. Um, I say this to you, of course, 
And then all of a sudden my Facebook freezes. All right, here we go. Bart writes, Buck, I always enjoy when you or your listeners recommend books, films, or music. The band Sabatan is now a favorite. The Last Kingdom season one was great. Season two, not so much. I agree with you, Bart. When it comes to country music, I grew up in the South, but I still can't seem to get into it. However, I'm a big fan of Southern rock. Check out the band Jive Mother Mary for sound that is reminiscent of CCR and Skinnerd, and their song The Great Decline tells you what side the right one of the political spectrum they sit on. Because contrary to what you may have thought, the music of the South is Southern rock, not country. Well, Bart, always good to hear from you, my friend. And I I had never heard this Southern rock versus country paradigm. John, are you familiar with this? I'm not. I don't really. A little bit? Yeah? Maybe. Uh, so we'll see. Andres writes, the AOC joke regarding ice cream, clever. The punchline, nothing because there's nothing there to freeze. It took me four seconds to get it. Funny, but kind of a womp womp. Um, it is definitely a womp womp. So the AOC joke, I guess we, we read off from the uh, roll call yesterday. There you have it. Harry. Whoa, Harry. Harry has written quite an, an opus here. Harry writes, hey, Buck, I'm behind in my essential podcast listening. So forgive me if you've moved on from this subject. Diversity is our strength. My Medicare communications come with notices in 15 different languages. Of course, all Americans should read and speak these languages and fluently so that in their day-to-day lives they can interact with anyone who has not taken the effort to learn English in America, right? Do they do that in bilingual Canada or trilingual Switzerland? The 15 languages thing, that is. When I visited France, uh, I was so insulted that all the natives would not speak English that it really... Uh, what did he say? To me, when you worked overseas, you definitely expected anyone you met to be able to speak English, didn't you? It annoys me when you see containers in stores written in Spanish, though I do understand it when instructions enclosed are more than one language for products to be sold internationally. Borders? We don't need no stinking borders or national identity. Shields high, Harry. Harry, was, there's a lot, a lot going on there, Harry. I tried to get through that. And uh, I, I, think I, get, I think I get what you're putting down, and I appreciate it. So thank you very much for that. Um, Charles writes, he sent me a link. That's, sorry, that's not, that's not going to be fun to be like X, Y, Q, R, S, dot, dot, backslash, underscore. I can't, I can't read the link off on it. That wouldn't make sense. Uh, Christian writes, your beta impression kills me. Has anyone told you it sounds like care from Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah. It's because if you really listen to beta, like he kind of sounds like that. Like, he's got, like, a little more raspy in his voice. Like, I can't really do it, but he kind of does this thing, like, here. But that's what Beto sounds like. And it just, like, is so hip and millennial sounding. Yeah. He's uh, he's not going to be president. That, that I can tell you. Uh, will he be the Democrat nominee? I don't know. I'd have to leave that to uh, some of you. Peter writes, hey, Buck, I'm not sure if you saw it, but the border deal includes protection for a butterfly sanctuary on the border, preventing a wall from being built there. Yep, Democrats care more about butterflies than American lives. Shields high, Pete, up in Michigan. Um, yeah, Pete, I hopefully I've, I've made at least some of my objections to this clear, um, but you are correct in that there's a lot of stuff in this in this uh, omnibus that is going to get signed here, um, or rather the Senate has passed, uh, that is a problem. 
And Trump says he's going to sign it, so we'll see. Faith. Hey, Buck, podcast listener here. If you're delving into country music, do yourself a favor and try Graham Parsons' Emmylou Harris. A good alt-country pick is Ryan Bingham. His first three albums are very solid. Anything coming out of Nashville this century is crap, but Dwight Yoakam never disappoints. Faith from NYC. Hey, Faith from NYC. Uh, I will add those to my list. Uh, Tyson writes, I'm a little late to the conversation about country music, but here's my take. Most country music on the radio is basically pop. You need to check out Red Dirt music like Reckless Kelly, Ryan Bingham, Turnpike Troubadours, just to name a few. Shields high. John, I have heard of none of those. Do you know these? I am not familiar with any of these. Hmm. Lauren writes, OMG, Tucker just played your favorite Ghostbusters clip. My life is now complete. I'm assuming it was cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria, which is up there with when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. And uh, Egon, your mucus. There's so many, so many quotable lines in Ghostbusters, John. Uh, you know. Choose? What do you mean choose? Um, Matt writes, hey, Buck, lots of great country suggestions so far. Give Chris Ledoux a listen. Very popular out here in the West. If you want something a bit heavier, try Dark Country, Shields High. I don't know about any of that. Do you know about any of this stuff? I'm still very much coming up short here in my knowledge of the country music. Uh, Let's see. We have Cade. Hey, Buck, with AOC's Green New Deal and Ilhan Omar rambling, uh, her rambling attack on Elliot Abrams, it's clear that neither one had much input on what actually spilled out onto the page. Who do you think is writing their work for them? Omar could barely read out loud what was on the page and can barely properly pronounce the words. Who is behind her work? Uh, that's, a, that's a fair question. I, mean, I assume there are people not just on her staff, but I'm sure there are different left-wing groups and, and uh, organizations that are giving her information. Uh, it was, Im- I mean, she was embarrassing herself, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, talking to Elliot Abrams, because he's just, the, the knowledge disparity there is substantial, but doesn't matter to the left. I mean, the, ner- the knowledge disparity, as far as the left is concerned, is irrelevant because it's all about scoring points against a hated enemy. And in this case, the hated enemy is Elliot Abrams. Uh, Nikki, hey, Buck. The time of your show was changed up here. My husband and I would listen from 1,800 to 2,100 hours, and now you're on from 1,500 to 1,800. Since I'm working, I only catch the last hour usually, but I'm doing a 100-mile fat bike race this weekend, and I downloaded a bunch of your podcasts. Someone will need to keep me company in the Alaskan wilderness. I usually listen to Serial Killer, but when it's dark and you're in the middle of nowhere, the podcast can freak you out. Ha-ha, shields high, Nikki. Well, Nikki, I'm so glad I can keep you company up there via the podcast in the freezing cold weather of uh, nighttime Alaska. And what is a John? What is a fat bike? I feel like I feel like are we shaming bikes now? We shouldn't shame bikes. All bikes are all bikes are beautiful, John. All bikes come in different sizes. Uh, let's see. We have John. More on the Smollett situation. Looks like his manager is refusing to turn over his phone records. Our friend Andy No over at uh, Quillette. Andy does some great uh, work on the social justice left. Andy No uh, has 
put out a tweet on this one saying that the yeah you know you know why the manager's refusing to turn over his phone records because they're lying about this there's no other there's no other explanation there's no other explanation for this okay so I just think that that's pretty clear at this point. And let's see what we get here. Michael writes, Oh, Buck, you're killing me, man. Just listen to Monday's show, and I completely agree that Corella DeVille was the worst. But as a Dalmatian, I knew I was going to get a Dalmatian. I knew I was going to get some Dalmatian owners to come at me hard on this one. As a Dalmatian owner myself, I have to say, overall, the breed's temperament are not that bad. They are a high-energy breed, and if not given a sufficient outlet for that energy, they can be terrors. As to them being biters, this is partially true. Okay, let's... I mean, if you're the owner and you're saying they're kind of biters, it's because they're biters. This can be partially true. The breed is prone to deafness, and for obvious reasons, a deaf dog will be more prone to biting. You can never get mad at the Buckster, but I got to defend my kiddos. Have a good day on Shields High. And uh, also, Michael, Michael sent a photo of his mustache. His mustache is world class. Uh, his mustache is what you would expect to see on a guy who's like wearing the pants but shirtless and has the arms out from like a boxing print from the 1920s. He's got that. He's got a 1920s boss mustache. So there you have it. But yeah, Dalmatians, uh, everyone loves, just like everyone loves their children, everyone loves their furry children. Dalmatians, if they're your breed, I understand. But the reputation is the reputation, which is that they tend to be they tend to be a little high strung. They tend to be biters. Um, so there is that. We have time for one more here. Uh, John writes, "Hey, Buck, let's get rid of California and add Puerto Rico. We'll still have fifty states." Just saying. Uh, well, John, that's an interesting idea. I'm wondering why you'd want to go that route, but I can't say that you know. Wouldn't be interesting. Both places have nice beaches. I mean, if we're doing a pluses and minuses of Puerto Rico versus California, the politics are probably about the same, though. I think Puerto Rico is maybe even as liberal or more liberal than California is overall. But they have some nice beaches and some fun stuff going on. That's going to be the show for today, team. I'll be on Kennedy tonight on Fox Business talking about all the nonsense with uh, McCabe or really the revelations about well, we already knew some of this stuff. I shouldn't say rebel. The, the confirmations of what we thought we knew from the McCabe situation. So I'll be on Kennedy around uh, 9.15 or 9.30 Eastern. You turn on Fox Business. I'm going to be out tomorrow. My man Ben Weingartner is going to be in for me. So he'll do a great show. Be sure to tune in for that. And I will talk to you all on Monday from D.C. Shields High. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's already in? Well, ask John, whose blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. Both times, blink video clips were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free. They set up in minutes and run on two AA batteries that last up to two years. And if you're traveling, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on pets from anywhere using the Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable, and Blink works with Alexa. Blink camera systems make great gifts, and they're a brilliant way to monitor your package deliveries. Visit BlinkProtect.com buck. Again, that's BlinkProtect.com buck. BlinkProtect.com buck. Remember, Blink is an Amazon company. This is the system you want to protect you, your home, your loved ones, and your valuables.